We are parents, we are doctors, we are first responders, teachers, and concerned citizens who have found ourselves at a crossroads. We see our freedoms being stripped away and we can no longer stay silent. We are millions strong, united in a thundering voice and imperative mission that cannot and will not be ignored. We are standing up for the basic human right to raise our own children, earn a living, and make our own medical decisions without the tyrannical overreach that has been forced upon us here in California, across the country, and around the world. We are here to amplify the voices, moving the needle, bringing forth truth, and provide education and resources with tangible tools and expert insights. We are The Unity Project, and this is our podcast. What's up, everyone? I'm Laura Sextro, CEO of The Unity Project and your podcast host. On today's episode, we talk to Denise Aguilar and Tara Thornton. These ladies are incredible, and they're both founders of an organization called Freedom Angels and multiple other organizations that are in the state of California fighting what's happening with regard to vaccine mandates, as well as these crazy bills that we're, we're seeing in the state of California. So please join us for this podcast today. I'm excited for everyone to get this information, and I hope you find it as eye-opening as I did. Okay, so I'm so excited today. I've got Denise Aguilar and I have Tara Thornton here with me. These women are just incredible in their own right. Probably some of the strongest women that I've had the honor and pleasure of meeting. Um, I met with them recently in person in Sacramento and got to see a little bit of the work that they're doing and their backgrounds are phenomenal. So with that, I'm gonna turn it over to you, Denise, because I'd like to, um, for you to just introduce yourself and tell us what you're doing and then we'll turn it over to you, Tara. Yeah, sure. Um, so I am from Stockton, California. I'm a wife and mother of three kids. Um, I have I had no, absolutely no political background before 2015, uh, when my husband told me that I need to start looking into the vaccine program for my children. And from there, um, I went to my first rally um, with SB277 in Sacramento, and it snowballed into this this thing that Tara and I have created together. Um, from 2019, we fought SB 276, which removed all functional exemptions in the state of California. Um, my son is in public school. I share custody of him. Um, and so my fight is a little bit different and very similar to a lot of people in the state of California. Um, he is not vaccinated. He is still in public school and I have a homeschool child. Um, from 2019, I realized that we were not prepared for what was coming. And so I created Mom Militia, which is a group of women from across the nation learning all the skills our grandparents you know, knew and all the skills that we've lost through all the um, technology and all the things that we've had convenience of. Um, and then I am now president of San Joaquin County Liberty Coalition, which was formed from our United Counties of America initiative that focuses on local engagement, local politicians, I'm also the Northern California lead, um, region leader of Lexit, which is a Latino exit from the Democratic Party. Wow. Oh my gosh. I don't know how you have time in the day, but thank God for people like you. And um, Denise is also a strategic partner for the Unity Project, and we're so excited to have her. So Tara, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, yes. Hi. Um, I live in the Northern Sierra Nevada mountains at the California-Nevada border. And I have a 12-year-old son who is my miracle baby. Uh, he was injured by the vitamin K shot. And other than that, that's all he's had for shots. So he is, 
you know, he is not allowed to be in any public or private school in California, if that's what I had wished to have them do anyway. Uh, I came into this in 2015 because my child was one of the children that would have needed some form of exemption if we had chosen to go through the um, traditional school system. He, you know, it really opened my eyes to see thousands upon thousands upon thousands of parents, moms, children advocating from across the state, from every walk of life, and just falling on deaf ears to an agenda that was really driven beyond what the, the needs of the children, the parents, the community were. And, and so from there, I jumped into legislative battles, referendums, lawsuits, and, and many years of work until 2019 when SB 276 dropped and um, jumped in and with another woman began running some of the hearings after the first one, doing the expert witnesses. And that's when Denise and I met. And really, again, instantly, we're, all, we're always on the same page. I can't even tell you how great it is to have a strategic partner that you love and adore. And it's like, hi, mine. We never have to even convince each other of anything. We always are right there in lockstep. Um, so we formed Freedom Angels, like Denise said, um, in, in late 20, uh, 2019, at the end of SB 276, decided that the best strategic action was for the hearing was to say, no, we're not going to comply with tyranny. And then from there, um, gosh, we I co-founded Urban Global Health Alliance with my partner, Kevin Jenkins, in the beginning of 2020, and then Freedom Travel Alliance with him, another partner, and Professor Dolores Cahill of Ireland. And have wow. also, we are launching the Phoenix Society, which I'm a director and founder of, and Denise and another friend of ours are also directors. And this is on how to vision the new world we wanna build, how to build skills around education, food, and health, and also how to train people in their local communities, how to use the kind of traditional community-based organization and C3 space to build freedom, terrain, and culture. Wow, that's so fascinating and so incredibly necessary. I know one of the, the I think, unintended consequences of what's happened um, with uh, the pandemic and, and how we've seen the direction this country, this country taking is all of a sudden, I think we're, we're seeing a, um, I would say a subset. I don't know that it's predominant, but I, I think, I hope that it trends that way, but a subset of people um, forming communities in ways that, that we've never seen, um, at least in, in the 21st century, right. Where you're going back to, to your point, to those basic tenets of, of community and, um, how living, living in a way that is not dependent on, uh, the government, it's not dependent on corporate America. It's not dependent on some of these extraneous factors that, that we in the 21st century have become, um, very, very accustomed to. And I think it's fascinating and I think it's incredibly inspiring and it's necessary. Um, so tell me a little bit about though, what's happening right now in the state of California, because I think that is something that is, is shocking. Um, it never ceases to amaze me how far we have gotten in this state away from any type of parental rights and medical freedom. And I think it's all happening because the people in California genuinely have no idea what their elected officials are doing behind closed doors. Absolutely. I mean, we've seen the corruption right in front of our eyes. Could you imagine what they do behind closed doors? 
Um, right now, we have many different extreme bills in the state of California. One that we're fighting currently is SB 866. Uh, this bill would allow for 12-year-olds and up uh, children to make medical decisions for themselves, which include all vaccines, including um, emergency use authorization, the COVID-19 shot, wow. without parental consent or knowledge. Um, this bill, it is extreme. This bill is uh, authored wow. by a non-parent, someone who says on, on record that parents uh, medically neglect their children if they don't give them all shots all the time and no exemptions, no exceptions. This is extremism. This so is Totally. So that's a one size fits all. I find it to be richly ironic that, so this is an, the author of the bill doesn't have children and yet he's um, making assumptions and decisions on behalf of parents. So he's acting like he's in a co-parenting relationship with, with the parents in the state of California. Uh, just to recap. So you're saying that this bill means that children can essentially make their own medical decisions without the knowledge or consent of their parent, which I find to be outrageous um, you know, in the state of California, that if you have a child under the age of 18 and they want to get their ears pierced, you, let's say you go to, to one of the boutiques at one of the malls to get their ears pierced, you know, that you have to show ID as a parent and sign a parent waiver and consent form to get their ears pierced. Crazy that they're going to let kids get vaccinated, make their own medical decisions, but yet they're not going to let them get their ears pierced. I, I yeah, it's I crazy. Um, no, I, it, none of it makes any sense. And you know, whether you have children or not, you've been, every adult has been a 12 year old. They know better. They might've at 12, they might've thought they could have made their own decisions, but truthfully, you know that you were not capable of it. Children should not be um, allowed to make their own health decisions. Be, you know, we know they're under so much coercion and so much peer pressure, so much marketing to them. Right. And then on top of it, you want to separate and break their, the relationship between a parent and the child. I mean, that's right. not what we should be doing in any form. We should be strengthening family unions and parent-child relationships. Well, it, it's really an outrage of a bill. It seems to me like you just hit the nail on the head, Tara. It seems to me like the, the intent is to erode at the parent-child relationship because I think we can all acknowledge that what is it? The prefrontal cortex and on a, on a child is not really fully developed until they're in their twenties. There's been many, many studies done, which is why there, you know, studies done on the fact that children can't possibly make decision, sound decisions, but let's just say for, for a moment that a 12 year old, uh, had uh, their prefrontal cortex fully developed and they were capable of making mature decisions. I think we can all acknowledge that there's not a person in this country or elsewhere that could actually make an informed decision about these vaccines, correct? Correct. There is no information on the insert. I mean, there's, you know, federal law states that when a doctor gives or a vaccinator vaccinates a child, they have to give the vaccine information sheet to the parent. That information sheet has any type of mild reactions a child may suffer. It also has the various information and the doctor lets the parent know after the visit with a piece of paper, this is the brand of vaccine that child's got. This is the lot number that child's got because the lot number is there to track any bad batches. I know I have a child in school. I have never gotten a permission slip until the very last, like I'm dropping them off at school kind of thing. Mom, I forgot I have a field trip. Can you sign this? Right. I don't think any 12 year old 
13, 14 year old is going to be able to grab that paper from the doctor and say, okay, I have full informed consent. That insert is blank though, but I'm aware of the lot number and the, and the VAERS number. That sure. is, it doesn't happen. And it, it doesn't even happen with parents. How can we expect children to do that? You know, it's, this is where we say coercion is not consent. If there's any type of hiding information, coercion, bullying, or discrimination, it's not consent. And children right now, like Tara said, are dealing with schools discriminating against them. Teachers are pointing them out, telling them they're not, they're the ones that aren't vaccinated. You go sit over there, putting them in rooms by themselves. Um, Kevin Kiley actually addressed this to Scott Weiner and said, do you think this is okay? And Scott Weiner said, well, schools are gonna, schools need to protect you know, the children. So this is, this, well, this is huh. Yeah, it's you bring really, up a really important point, by the way, um, because it's unbelievable. Well, listen here, here you bring up a really good point that they say they have to protect the children. My question would be, well, what exactly are you protecting the children from? Because we know that the pediatric population is at zero risk from this virus. We also know that they're not vectors of transmission. So, what are they doing? What is their intent in forcing parents? to vaccinate their children. And I have to say this 866 feels particularly nefarious to me because I think what's going to happen is that, um, you know, there's, there's over a billion dollars, I believe, um, in, in the budget for the state of California, that's going to be dedicated to a vaccine program. And so a part of that is I know in LAUSD, they were having vaccine bans that would go to schools, uh, much like, you know, they would do some of the, the, the testing, whether it's, it's, um, hearing or sight testing, uh, they would have vaccine bans coming around. And so now if 866 passes, in my mind, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have your kid go to school. The school's not going to notify you that the vaccine ban is coming that day. And your kids are going to line up and willingly go and get vaccinated because of what that's what all their friends are doing. 100%. It's been their agenda for many years, and they've got a lot of money and marketing and motivation now in the last two years to not only put on-site clinics, but the mobile vans where they need to. And like we know, the marketing and peer pressure is huge. Even prior to this, no matter even what state you live in, uh, California has no functional exemptions to vaccines for kids at school. But even when it right. did, the school doesn't tell you about it. The doctors don't tell you mm -hmm. about it. The media doesn't tell you about it. Nobody in the chain of authority or interfacing with the child and the parent ever tells you that you had a right to choose or not. And, you know, when you brought up the adult piece about um, it, no one really has informed consent, mm -hmm. it, you know, we are all speaking and fighting for choice all the time. But the truth is the deeper message to the greater population is there is no choice if there is any form of coercion or if there is not true transparent informed consent. And like was stated, there is no informed consent. There's a blank, mm -hmm. completely blank insert on the, um, on the, the vaccine um, box. And there is, um, there's, there's hit all the docs from Pfizer and other companies are completely hidden. They're being dribbled out bit by bit and they're shocking what is being revealed. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, well, we had, we did a, um, an interview with Bree Dressen, who is in charge of, um, react 19. I'm sure you guys are familiar with her. And I mean, yep. right now, there's over 40,000 people that she knows that are affiliated um, with React 19 that are vaccine injured. And those are just the people that are coming forward. And that doesn't include the people that have actually passed away. 
sadly, we've seen children that have passed away. I mean, recently in my own personal life, I, there's four people that are under the age of 57, perfectly healthy individuals that have suddenly passed away. One driving to work, um, had a sudden cardiac event, 35 years old, totally healthy. Another person died in their sleep. Um, I mean, and the list goes on. So uh, the, the information that's coming out is, is quite, quite shocking. And I know, um, all cause mortality. I'm sure you guys have seen the studies coming out of, um, insurance actuarial studies that all cause mortality is up across the board. It's like, what was it? A shocking, I think 40%, like unheard of historically. And you know, those are the people that actually reported. I'm in Stockton where we have a huge underserved community, a lot of Medi-Cal doctors. Those mm -hmm. doctors already have their hands tied with, with treatments and things that they can use. In my community, there are no trans, there's no translation to the Spanish speaking community of the wow. effects that can happen. There's a lot of bullying in the Latino mm -hmm. community. It's you know, culturally and just socially, we don't push back. You know, we don't want to make waves. We just kind of put our head down. That's just what happens, unfortunately. And when we have parents taking their children to the doctor who may be undocumented, they can't report. They know, have no idea how to report. They have no idea what VARES is. They have doctors that are being paid by insurance companies, being controlled by insurance companies and the medical mm -hmm. board. They can't mention anything that has to do with any type of reactions or how to report it. So with those statistics, those are people who fortunately had the information to say, oh, I need to report this. This actually happened to me. And then there's all of my community and beyond that have no access to the information. The information isn't translated into something they can understand. And doctors mm -hmm. are shutting the door because they don't want to deal with the insurance companies or the medical boards coming after them. That's right. That's right. I, I so tell me a little bit though about more about the Latino communities and how you're trying to reach them because I think that's really important work. Um, and to your point, I think these are some of the communities that are being preyed upon. They always do. You know, it's it's not just the Latinos, it's the mm -hmm. underserved communities. It's all all races, all nationalities. As long as you're poor, they will prey on you. We've seen this. We've seen them do vaccines for food. You know, vaccine clinics, if you get a, your flu shot, you'll get a turkey. When you're dealing with families that already have no food security, already dealing, especially right now in the times of the pandemic and things shut down, parents will do anything that they have to do to feed their kids. And so with, you know, with Tar and I, Tar, Tar's son is, is Latino. You know, it's, mm -hmm. this is, this affects every single person in the state. And what we've really tried to focus on is doing car shows. Car shows is a really big thing that I like to go to because it's something out of the box. They don't uh -huh. expect it. And people are, are really curious. They really do want to know right. what I'm doing. So when they see a booth that and I'm talking about this stuff, they want to come. I've made relationships with presidents of car clubs. Um, I We go to the flea market and we put up a booth. We do community canvassing. Um, any and everything that we can do, we do. Because this is the end of the road for California. If bills like this pass, then California has fallen and the mm -hmm. rest of the nation is coming. And so we, we go out to the farm workers. Um, we, you know, we, Tara and I have reached out to um, Dolores Huerta. We reached out to the Cesar Chavez Foundation um, during 276. 
we it is time that we start focusing on really the, the population that the politicians are terrified of. And that is the Latino community. We're the waking giants of the state. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I've seen um, my my mom was a school teacher in South LA for years, and um, I've seen how that community has been impacted. And um, how do you how do you address? Obviously, you know, I think if parents feel like their children are going to be withheld from school, then they feel like they've got no choice. But how how do you address? Like you were saying, the farm workers that they they want to put food on the table, they want to provide for their families. How are you connecting with them and offering them resources? Uh, it's It's been a very difficult task. What public health has done is they go to the farms and they tell them, if you don't get vaccinated, then your work visa is going to be revoked and you're going back to Mexico. I mean, this is a state, California, which is equity for all. California, which says, you know, that really caters to the Latino community, as they say, this is where it's no family separated, all of the things that all of the propaganda they throw at us, when really they're going into the Latino community and threatening them with deportation if they don't participate in this. It's really hard to counter something like that because it's scary. It's a scary situation for them. But what we've tried to do is, um, Tara and I tried to come up with resources instead of just going to them and saying, pull your kids, we come to the, to any everybody and say, public schools, this is what's going on in public schools. Now here's some resources mm-hmm. and here's some groups that are homeschooling. And we right. try to bring resources along with the problems that are happening in, in schools and just in the state. So it's it's been a uphill battle. And honestly, we need more people who look like me <laughs> to start mm-hmm. speaking out because you know identity politics is a real thing. And so that's our, our call to action for Freedom Angels is if, you know, if, if you know that something's wrong, it's time to speak up. Well, and I think that what you said is uh, particularly concerning. And I think pe- everyone needs to hear what you just said. So in one breath, we have the state of California and the federal government saying um, people who are crossing over the border and sometimes doing it illegally, they're not being tested for any communicable disease and they're not being asked about their vaccine status. But then we have people that are here in the United States working um, as, as, as migrant farm workers and they're being threatened to be deported uh, if they don't go out and get vaccinated. I, 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 I mean, come on. I, I just find that to be so rich with, with irony and, um, and irony is a, is a polite word for the real world word that I probably want to use. Um, Tara, tell us what's happening right now in the state of California. I actually think it'd be good to go through some of these bills and let's talk about the dangers of, of these bills and where they are right now. Well, SB 866 is the one that's moving, you know, has moved along the farthest in the legislature. It's at its final stop. And, um, you know, it's it's important to know it's surprising with with the lack of knowledge on civic engagement. A lot of people when you they don't know about these bills. And when you go out and you say, hey, there is a bill called SB 866 and you tell them a lot of them will say, well, when do I get to vote on it? And the truth is, is you don't get to vote on it. Your vote was when you elected the representative, the assembly member or the senator. And now it's in their hands. That's why it's so important to know who you're electing um, and then hold them accountable and engage there. So right now, SB 866 has gone through 
SB means it's a Senate bill. It's gone through the entire process in the House, in the House of Origin. So it's gone through Senate committee, Senate floor vote. It almost died on the Senate floor. That's really important for people to know because that's the closest one of these extremist bills like this has ever come that was on the floor to not passing. It was for a brief moment, um, it was, they, they have 40 senators, they need 21 to pass it. They only had 20 votes. And after what happens is everyone's in a stalemate there and then they're pressuring, they're getting texts, they're getting a little message in their ear and all of a sudden someone caves. Um, this is like that horse trading and pressure moment. And so um, a senator from Santa um, Barbara, Monique Lamone, became the 21st vote. They got it out just on that slim margin. Then it went through the assembly. It went through one committee there just a week ago. And now it's on the assembly floor. That is the final vote. That's why everyone's calls to action right now are to reach out to the Democratic Assembly members. The Republicans mm -hmm. are already committed to no's. So it's the Democratic Assembly members. And we are very close to killing this right now on the assembly floor. Yesterday was rather historic day of grassroots mm -hmm. lobbying California Capitol, uh, where we saw the culmination of everyone's efforts out across the state and in their communities to their legislators. We had 10 different Democratic um, legislators tell us that they are abstaining. We wow. are, we already, which is a big deal. It is huge deal. You know, well, there's, there, people need to know there's 80 assembly members. Mm -hmm. And if you kind of want to know the picture of the state, we have approximately 40 million people in California. The districts are broken up into 40 senators that represent a million people each. This is all like the approximate. And 80 assembly members that represent 50, uh, 500,000 people each. It's very important. Everyone in LA, get active in your county because you have 10 million people in the approximately in this county of LA that means mm -hmm. 20 assembly members and you know come from that county and that is um that's a, a fourth of all the assembly members that's so crazy that that's crazy it seems like LA then is really kind of strong arming the, the rest of the state the county, yes, but mm -hmm. right now, so this bill, Senator Weiner and and the honestly the vaccine work group, we call them the, the extremist caucus. Um, mm -hmm. They they're I they're on their heels at this moment, and this is a beautiful thing to see. A lot of people are, you know, we have so we have fifty eight Democrat assembly members, nineteen Republican assembly members, one independent who used to be a Republican, and two vacant seats. They need to get to 41 votes to pass SB 866 on the assembly floor. That means we have 19 Republicans and two empty seats with us. That's 21 locked in. So then we're down to just needing to get, um, if we have 21, then we just need 20 or 19 left to, to hold right. them at it, defeat it or hold, and hold them that we have 12 sitting assembly members who were here in 2019 and voted against SB 276. They voted with us against it. We already had seven assembly members who were not in that, who are uh -huh. Democrats who told us yesterday they're not voting. We are within right. one or two votes right now of killing this. So everyone's effort really matters. And this on a bigger picture is not even about the election and the primary, I think. That is a real factor, 
But the truth is, is we have a moderate group of Democrats in California that are coalescing. You can see it around the bipartisan gas tax bill, AB 2457. Mm -hmm. I think they see an opportunity here to to break the yoke of the democratic leadership, which is extremists, and then bring a more moderate form of Demo you know, a Democrat vote in the state, which is what we need. We can't have a supermajority. Mm -hmm. We can't have extremists running it. We need balance in this for everybody. Right, and I think you brought up a really interesting point about um, you know, this bipartisan concept. What's interesting to me is I, I always keep saying that it, if you know, it doesn't really matter where you are in the political spectrum, um, unless you're so extremely, extremely far left, um, it really doesn't matter where you are. I think we can all agree that a bill that would allow a 12 year old to make their own medical decisions without their parent knowledge or consent is just absolute lunacy. And um, I think it's actually a rallying point that everyone, all political people, you know, all everyone on the political spectrum can get behind. And so it was, it's, it's encouraging for me to hear that you've got Democrats that are willing to vote, you know, vote against this, these bills. Um, what are some of the other bills that are out there right now that are concerning for the state of California? And before you answer that though, I, what I should really say is that I believe California, cause we have a lot of people that go, oh, this is just California. California becomes, in my opinion, somewhat the barometer for what's going to be happening throughout the rest of the country. So I think it'd, it'd be wise for, for people who are even outside the California state of California to observe and really have their finger on the pulse of what's happening. Um, because if we don't get ahead of this, this can be the direction that the country is going. So what other bills are, are out there that are really concerning right now? Um, SB 1100, that's a really concerning bill. Um, this bill is basically saying that the reps will, any reps local and state level will be able to remove someone from a hearing should they feel that they're a threat. Now we've seen through all of, you know, these, uh, the school board hearings and, you know, local engagement where people are wanting to talk to their school board members. They don't want some of the agenda items being put on into play. These people can be removed. Um, you know, at what point are we going to just say, throw our hands up and say, well, I guess we just can't engage in politics anymore because my tone offends a representative. We also have AB 2098, which is a, an extreme bill. This bill will um, basically tell uh, medical professionals in California, you cannot go against the CDC narrative. So if we go to a doctor and we say, this COVID shot injured myself or my child, that doctor cannot even say that this happened because if they get reported to the medical board and the medical board can have a hearing to remove their license. This is a full medical police state if this passes. Um, and it's, we, Tara, we don't have a hearing date set for that yet, correct? No, but it moved through the assembly, which is House of Origin, just on straight party line votes. All the all the Democrats voted for it, except for um, Sacramento Democrat um, Ken Cooley, who's the head of the Assembly Rules Committee. He voted no, um, and and it is now in the Senate. It is waiting for assignment to committee. And um, you know, honestly, I think it, it is such a critical bill. It's 
it's, it's again, like you said, setting a standard of care, applicable standard of care. It's honestly should be called the ministry of truth bill. It's that bad and that insane. Like any doctor who is deemed to, you know, go against the FDA or CDC's view on what is acceptable COVID narrative for treatment is risking um, being, you know, being called out for misinformation and disinformation and to have their license looked at by the California Medical Board and possibly revoked. So again, it's 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 a big deal. And you guys know at Unity Project because you work closely with so many of these brilliant doctors who pioneered real world solutions. I mean, you're I mean, in theory, if you're even talking about vitamin D under this, they can do whatever they want. This is this is straight authoritarian, totalitarian regime right. type of structures. And it's about to go to the assembly committee, I mean, to the Senate committee and the Senate floor. And unless we have a huge spotlight brought onto this bill, this thing's going to become law. We need, and the thing is, is nobody knows about it. People do not realize. It's so dangerous. It's so dangerous. People have no idea that if 2098 passes, the medical institution is forever changed and, and not only changed, it's forever damaged. Uh, and it's so, so scary. And what you were saying, Denise, about um, 1100, well, right there, that's, that is the mechanism that they're using to prevent the average person from becoming involved in the legislative process and letting our voices be heard. Uh, I know that it's a, it's a total smoke and mirrors game. I'd love to get some feedback from you guys on like what we were talking about when we were in Sacramento about, um, you know, how they announce that there's a hearing and then they move the, the hearing and then they only allow a certain number of people because of COVID. And what they're doing is really just, again, creating an environment where, um, they are hiding behind closed doors, uh, with a total opaque, um, presence so that the average People, the average person in California has no idea. And when I say average person, let me clarify. So that the constituents in the state of California, the people that elected these officials have no idea what's going on behind closed doors. Yeah, it's, it's in that SB 1100, it's any elected body, that's school board too. So it really takes it right down even into your, you know, the, the closest granular personal way that you might interface with an elected board. Um, no, the whole process lacks transparency. It, this, everything we're talking about today is like shows you how critical it is to fight censorship and how important it is to spotlight and have transparency in all processes. And so, yeah, it, it, it feels literally like, um, like this, this, it's really amazing to me how, much the legislators want to keep everything secret and do it in the dark. Mm -hmm. They should be, every one of them, even if they're not running for an office out there stumping, they hold town halls or they go to meetings, they should be informing. It's their duty to inform their constituents on the bills that are before them, especially the ones that they know are extreme, not to sit here and wait till the final day of a vote being saying that their staffer has them yet. No, your job is to go out and tell your constituents these votes are before you and you want to hear that they deserve to know and you want to hear their voice on it. But that's not what's happening. That's again why who we elect is so important because we have so many people that have stepped up, especially in the last two years, who just had enough of this stuff being done behind 
closed doors and in the dark, that they're the kind of potential new electeds that would enter into a process of transparency and change the game, which then would up level it and force the, uh, you know, the old guard to mm -hmm. do something different. So how do people get involved? How does the average citizen in the state of California who, let's say, uh, happens to be lucky enough to be at one of the car shows and hear, hear what Denise is, is saying and what you're saying, Tara, what's next for them? How do they get involved? I mean, I tell people start locally. Tara and I know how important it is at a local level. You know, when we're, when we go to the Capitol, we're there to just to bear witness to what's going on and to let them know that we're, we're here and we're paying attention, but there, you can't make any kind of moves at the Capitol. By the time they get there, they've already made their decisions. It's all at a district level, at a local level, your school boards, your city council meetings, your board of supervisors, because the board of supervisors plays a huge key role in, in this. We're still in a public health emergency in most counties in California, um, including my county. I'm in San Joaquin County. We've actually been one of the better counties in Northern California where um, our board of supervisors heard what we were saying, put in resolutions, didn't have huge teeth in it, but they still worked with us as a coalition to put in certain protections. However, there's still corruption at a local level. Um, you know, we filed for a full forensic audit under the public health emergency for San Joaquin County because they use Fulgent. Fulgent, as we've heard, is alleged to be selling our DNA data to the um, Chinese Communist Party. And so when I talk to people at certain events and they're like, well, I can't go to the Capitol. How do I do this? You can absolutely go at a local level because these politicians live in our community. I see my politician, Carlos Villapadua, I see him at my local bar. I see him at the restaurants. I see him in you know, Miracle Mile, one of the, the more happening places in Stockton. And he doesn't want to deal with us because we've been aggressive in saying you have a certain responsibility to your constituents. If you have too many bills to go through, then perhaps there's too many bills being introduced at a state level. Maybe we need to cut back on that a little bit so we can talk about the real things happening in our state. So when I tell people to engage, it is the local, hyper-local, call the, the reps at their district office, ask for meetings. When you see them out and you know at bars, talk to them. They're not... These politicians are, are not um, better than us. We are all at an equal playing field. They just happen to get paid for this. And we just do it, you know, because we are forced to. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Yeah, yeah localism is where it's at. In uh, March of 2020, when the lockdown start, started, uh, Freedom Angels immediately shifted to trying to educate around local engagement, you know, public health as the hub of the wheel locally, and then who all the players were. We moved on in that summer to make United Counties of America initiative, which was really to help people build and create local community groups. Because you need, I mean, you could have a hundred groups working every angle of freedom and health in a community, and it would still, you know, could have more. Um, so that's really, we. a lot of our resources and focus is around how to engage locally.
And that's where everything, all politics, they say all politics is local, but also right. we say, don't, don't wait around for a Supreme Court decision or a, or a, you know, next Nuremberg trial that doesn't come from someplace above and outside of us. That comes from the ground up, what we decide, what we demand, what our voice says. And we all have that ability locally to determine that for ourselves, our families and community. Mm-hmm. Um, give everyone just a rundown if you guys would, I think it's time well spent, um, on the bills. So what's the bill and what's the concern, right? I know we know SB 866, uh, will give children as young as 12, the ability to engage in medical decisions without the knowledge or consent of their parents Two zero nine eight. So why don't we just kind of go down maybe the top 10 bills that are particularly daunting. And with that in, 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 keep in mind, what I always say is, you know, there's a myriad of things in the state of California that we can be worried about, whether it's gas prices, inflation, um, homelessness, crime, criminal activity, a whole host. But to me, what we're talking about in this conversation is the root of everything because it, it impacts your ability to, to live, work, and learn in the state of California. If these bills pass, um, there, you will no longer be able to live in, in any context of the word free in the state of California. Yeah, well, there's two of the bills that are currently not active that people need to know these things can come back at any time is um, AB 1993 and SB 871. 1993 is the one that would require the COVID shot for any employment, private, public, independent contractor. That means you're 16 or to whatever age and you're working in any form in the state of California, you are required and your employer is required and uh, to enforce it and then um, could face a fine, well, would have a fine and criminalization if they don't enforce it and report it. And then um, SB 871 was the one, that's actually a two-part one. People thought of it as the requiring the, the COVID shot for kids in school. And in California, you need to know that's K through, you know, it's, it's K through 12, it's also daycare preschool, um, and it's private and public. So it's unless you're homeschooling in a very narrow form, it, 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 rep- it applies to you in California. And um, that bill would only have not only have requ- allowed uh, or required it as the 11th shot on the California schedule, but it does something even more nefarious is um, it would remove a personal belief exemption that is currently on law from a bill called SB 277 in 2015 that says any um, any shots that are added to the schedule from sorry from the uh, from the California Department of Public Health have a personal belief exemption attached, and that was a check that we got on as an amendment to the to the administrative. Well, let me back it up to say. In 2019, when they dropped, or 2015, when they they dropped the bill SB 277, people don't realize that was that was COVID on steroids. It was comply or move state. There was no carve out for even homeschooling families, and there was wow. it just removed everything. So it was really extreme. We got exemptions for a narrow form of. I mean, we got amendments for a narrow form of homeschooling. We got a broad medical exemption that we lost again in the battle in 2019. We had. Um, 
children on IEPs and 504s uh, included in the amendments. And we had what was called number 11. That what they did in 2015 was they put California Department of Public Health as an, an agency able to take, co take shots um, and put them directly from the ACIP and the CDC's recommendations and put them directly on the childhood schedule for you know K through 12, daycare, preschool, private, public, wow. without any stakeholder involvement, without any stakeholder voice. That means your legislators, you, your, mm -hmm. your parent, your doctor, no one had a voice. And what we did was we got a personal belief exemption attached to that. That's mm -hmm. been there since 2015, even though we lost the personal belief exemption and the, and the functional medical exemption. So it was the only thing that held from that direct pipeline from CDC and ACIP straight to California Department of Public Health, straight to the requirement that's gonna be enforced at every school. And that Bill 871 would not only put COVID-19 shot on the schedule as the 11th shot, it removes that check against the, the California Department of Public Health, just putting whatever they want on. They, you know what, someone has a, a Vioxx point, you know, 2.0 situation, all pharma has to do is say CDC, you know, put the pressure on to get the HPV shot on in California. That'll take care of, make our stockholders happy. Um, it's that simple. It's a, it's, a, it's a total commoditization of our children in California, a complete wholesale sellout with no voice of any person at all in the state to stop it. So 871 not only put the COVID shot on, it literally was the full commoditization and sell, sellout of our children. We also had um, SB fourteen sixty four. It was uh, it did not get the support that Pam thought it was going to get, but it was a law enforcement bill. This bill would require that law enforcement would follow public health orders. Um, when it you know this is in direct response to the LA County Sheriff when they said no, we're not going to arrest people and make criminals out of our community for people not wanting to wear a mask or not wanting mm -hmm. to show their right. QR code for a vaccine. This bill would. Um, move the funds over from, that would go to the law enforcement agency over to the public health department, forcing the hand of officers to, um, you know, to arrest if necessary. Um, we also had a bill that was sponsored by a Republican. And this is why it's really important that the Republicans need to be aware of the agenda and to recognize when they get calls and, you know, is from, from um, who was it, Choi that did it? Um, AB 25, what was it, 2539, which would require the digital QR code to be shown for vaccine proof. Now he got tremendous backlash because he's a Republican. We went, Tara and I went to a town hall with Heath Flora asking these questions. Why aren't the Republicans standing against this? And this is why we really have to have those conversations with both parties. We can't assume because they're Republican that they're going, going to be able to identify um, right. what kinds of bills are being put forward. And we were told, well, you know, we received phone calls from constituents saying that it's really hard to check the cards of people coming into the businesses. So we would prefer a digital ID, which would be oh the digital goodness. passport. And so this is where, again, it's constantly having to keep the checks and balances with our representatives, letting them know what it looks like and what it feels like to see these extreme bills. And thankfully he pulled it but it was still on the table. So this, this was part of the 10 bad bills that were introduced. And that brings us right
Oh, they are. And that brings us into two that are active right now. That's the perfect um, that are in play. And honestly, it's, you know, that's um, SB 1479 is one of them. That's the bill that requires um, the, every school to make a COVID testing plan and report it to the state. And it, you know, it, we're, it's already moving. It went all the way through the Senate. It's in the assembly now. It's been assigned to two committees, health and, and education, but they haven't set a date for those hearings yet. But that thing is flying through again on party line votes um, because basically most people are like, well, what's wrong with a testing or a testing plan? They don't understand the level of um, control and, and the problems that can happen when we put public health control measures um, as a toggle switch to, to allow people's participation in you know, critical parts of society. So the other one is AB 1797, and that one creates an immunization database uh, that for adults and children that uh, uh, many levels of government agency have direct access to. Again, you don't put any vulnerable population into databases, let alone um, anything that is a, a highly you know, charged issue that has um, the potential for damage. So that bill is moved through um, the assembly and is now on the Senate floor waiting for, or Senate waiting for assignment to committee, but they are moving through without any, it's the Republicans are in opposition, the Democrats are supporting it, and it is a supermajority of Democrats, so it's flying through. And this gets to the point of what Denise was saying about Republicans, you know, creating a bill on databases and, and, and vaccine passports that they quickly pulled back they should know better. This is the problem, again, censorship and transparency and conversations that need to be had is people need to recognize what something is. What is a control mechanism? Where are we at risk of um, here? Because if we don't know better, then they're gonna think, oh gosh, mm -hmm. we can. what's wrong with a testing plan or a database? If there's a, right. too much wrong well, with them. And, and look, their, their uh, options for testing. I think we've, we've have a clear understanding now that they're faulty. So um, it's, it's aside from the, the layers of, of issues that go along with these bills, that that's also a factor that people need to consider. Um, how do people access the work that you're doing? How do people follow you and um, get involved with what you're doing? Well, we've been removed from Facebook um, and removed multiple times from Instagram. We have to kind of sneak our way on there. But we do have our website, which is freedom-angels.org. Uh, Tara and I have worked very heavily in different counties around the state, as well as outside the state. And you can see all the resolutions and ordinances and work that we've done, as well as some solutions for, um, for kids in school. So it's freedom-angels.org. I'm on Instagram under... Denise.freedom.angel and I'm a TikToker. I'm on Denise Freedom Angel as well. All right. Well, um, we'll link, we'll try to make sure that we send a link uh, when we get this, this podcast posted. And um, I'm so proud to have you guys as a strategic partner here at the Unity Project. I'm proud of the work that you're doing. And we are so thrilled to have people like you in this fight and leading the charge. Uh, you guys will definitely be 
one of the main factors in, in changing the trajectory of what's happening in this state and ultimately what's happening in this country. So thank you so much for joining us today. You guys are fantastic. Looking forward to having more collaboration and future conversations. Awesome. This was great. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Thanks so much. From all of us at the Unity Project, thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope to continue producing content that amplifies voices, strategies, and resources. Please keep in mind that the Unity Project is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that relies on the contributions of our generous supporters to fuel the work we do in this movement. If you value our efforts, please consider making a tax-deductible contribution today by visiting our website at www.unityproject.com and clicking the donate button. We very much appreciate your continued support and confidence, without which our work wouldn't be possible.